wickedness, Lord, is running after me. Oh, your goodness is running after It's running after me. Oh, your goodness is running after Running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender. Has he been faithful all your life? That's the favorite song of my three-year-old daughter. It's always uh, amusing to us to see a three-year-old sing, all my life, you have been faithful. <laughs> Not much of a track record there. But it doesn't matter if you're three or 30 or past 30 the second time. All our lives, he's been faithful. And that revelation is growing stronger every day. We realize it's been Him all along the way. As we look back over our lives and see the different things He's carried us through, you know, that little poem of footprints in the sands of time becomes real to us, doesn't it? We realize that there were times He carried us when it seemed like we were all alone. No, it was Christ that was carrying us. And we thank God for His grace and His blessings upon our lives. Let's take our Bibles this evening. We don't want to keep you long. There's a service, another service in the morning. And uh, so we want to turn right away to the Scripture. Thank you, musicians. First Peter chapter 3 is where we'll be turning. I have an announcement, a missions announcement that I want to make tomorrow morning. And uh, so I'll just say this morning that I will make it tomorrow morning, so you'll be wondering what that is. I hope you'll be able to sleep tonight. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I know Andrew gets his humor from me, doesn't he? And uh, actually, I get it from him. 1 Peter chapter 3. Before we read, let's just bow our heads together in a word of prayer. If you have a need, I know it's already been mentioned But he is the one that knows your heart, and he knows your need. And even though uh, I know your pastor real well, he doesn't talk about you individually. So I don't even know what the needs are here in the assembly, but we know that God knows. And may he just make himself real to each and every one of us this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we stand in your presence tonight... Where you said, as you said, wherever two or three are gathered together in your name, you are here in the midst of them, and you are the word that discerns the thoughts and intents of each one of our hearts, Lord. You know our needs, you know our burdens, you know our battles, you know every one of our uh, onslaught that we're battling, fighting off the enemy. And Lord, we confess that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. 
And Lord, we come to you this evening as we approach your word. We're asking your blessing upon it, that you'll anoint it to the hearer, that your sheep might be fed, that your lambs might be fed, O God. Direct our every inspiration. Take the notes and whatever you might use them for, we just give them as an offering unto you. Our studying, our labors, it's an offering unto you, Lord. But may you just consume it this evening and bless the sacrifice to the people's benefit. Remember Brother Ed tonight, Lord, as he has been ministering today in Uganda. Lord, it's nighttime there now. Give him a good night's rest. Inspire him for the meetings ahead. Keep him safe, Lord, we pray, and bring him back home here to his church. And we commit ourselves to you now. Father, have the preeminence tonight. We just want to lay ourselves at your feet and hear from the Master tonight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 3. I'm speaking tonight on the decisions of a righteous judge. First Peter 3 and verse 18. For as much as you know that you are re- not redeemed, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 3 verse 18, I'm on the wrong page. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, I don't know know if you know this, but this is the first Easter convention here in the Scripture. Jesus preached three days to souls in prison. I can imagine he didn't get a lot of amens. I trust I'm not preaching to souls in prison tonight. Amen? Amen? But I'm preaching to the redeemed of the Lord. But we have the Easter meetings this weekend in commemoration, if I can say it that way, in commemoration of Jesus' Easter meetings. But he went and preached to souls in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few... That is, eight souls were saved by water. Amen. The Lord add his blessing to the word. You may be seated. We know that as we speak today, as we commemorate uh, the Easter weekend, and we spoke yesterday about Good Friday or the crucifixion day and the character of Jesus Christ, And I always like to, when I preach on Easter, I always like to follow the journey of Jesus. And so if we were there that first Easter, it would be a day of uncertainty here on the earth. It would be a time when the disciples are gathered in secret, wondering what has happened and what what has taken place, all of their thoughts of how that age would unfold, of how the ministry of Jesus would unfold, and who Jesus was, and what his position was. Their minds became uncertain. Their future became uncertain. They wondered where they were going to go. But I want to say this, that the position of Jesus Christ was not uncertain to Jesus Christ. Amen? He knew who he was. 
And when he went down to the souls in prison, as he descended down into hell with a purpose and began to speak to them, I am the one that Noah told you about. I am the one that Enoch testified about. I am the one that Adam told you about. As God told him, the seed of the woman, I am that seed of the woman. Amen. I am the one that was promised to come, and I have come upon the earth, and I have paid the price. Now he was right amongst the people that didn't believe the word in their day, but now here he was, the word made flesh in that hour, having died on Calvary, paid the price for our redemption, made the provided sacrifice. He was our atonement. Now every blessing of the atonement was loosed. The one sacrifice was made. Can you say amen tonight? You know, that that one sacrifice was made. The price was paid for all blessing. Whatever you have need of tonight, the price is already paid. Amen. It doesn't matter what you have bothering you, what promise it is you're looking to in the Word of God to be fulfilled. It is already paid for. If you're a sinner tonight and you recognize Jesus as your Savior, you won't get saved tonight. You were saved 2,000 years ago. You just recognize tonight that Jesus is your Savior. If you receive your healing tonight, you actually weren't healed tonight. You were healed 2,000 years ago. You just recognized and received the manifestation of your healing tonight. So every promise was paid for, and now Jesus has descended into the regions of the lost to bear witness to the souls that are in prison, the souls that were stubborn, the souls that resisted the truth, the souls that are now reserved in chains of darkness. But the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the revealing of the Son of Man. Is that right? As it was in Noah's day, so is it in this day. Do you realize that as Noah was the testimony of Jesus Christ, that you are the final testimony of Jesus Christ? Amen. The bride is the final testimony on the face of the earth of God's redemptive purpose. I'm not trying to squeak in. I'm not trying to make it just by, as they say, the skin of my teeth or you know, by the hair of my chin or whatever it might be. I'm not trying to just make it there. I want to stand exactly for what Jesus Christ has revealed in this hour. Amen. I'll stand for the truth no matter what happens in this age. Can you say amen to that? As we said last night, first comes the promise, then comes the testing. If we could just realize that that's how God operates. He delivers his word to you. Then he tests your faith. Now let me read to you a little bit that Brother Branham spoke in the message, Souls in Prison. He says, a man must be born again. So this nature has to die. The nature of God comes and lives in you. And God is the only thing there is that never did begin and never can end. So there, he, therefore... He has partnershiped and taken this man earthly and this eternal spirit and put it together because God reflected himself back in that he become a man when he become Christ Jesus and he was God. God was in Christ, lived in him, reconciled the world to himself and through that perfect man, 
each one of us imperfect that believe in God and has accepted that becomes a perfection of him. Hallelujah. He says, each one of us imperfect. Can you put your name there? Each one of us imperfect that believe in God and has accepted that becomes a perfection of him. And he never let his body see corruption. Neither did he leave his soul in hell, but raised him on the third day, and he's alive forevermore. And we will have a body like his own glorious body. Amen. See, that's the only thing that's holding us here, is this corruptible body. There's an incorruption on the inside. There's a perfection in the soul by the nature of God coming into the believer. But that puts a yearning in us to be in our perfection. You see, the only thing that holds us back, I remember traveling with a young brother and we were talking, he's quite, young, quite a bit younger than I, and we were talking about the change of the body and he says, Brother Tim, I suppose that you being older, you're looking forward more to the body change than a young man like myself. And I said, well, it's not exactly like the way you look at it. I says, it's not that I'm just, just because my body is getting older and weaker and all of that that I'm looking forward to a body change. Rather, it's because the longer I walk with God, the more that I realize that this body cannot fulfill the yearning that's on the inside. There's a word on the inside that cries for a word body. Because it cannot live, it cannot manifest fully in this corruptible body. It's yearning to be loosed. Not, not in the form of death or suicide, but it's learning to come, yearning to come into full manifestation. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 that the whole of creation groaneth and travaileth, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. We've come now to this manifestation hour. We're waiting for the fullness of our adoption, that to wit the redemption of our mortal bodies, so that we can be all that the Scripture has quickened us to be. But if the same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwell in you, it will also quicken your mortal body. It will bring your mortal body subject to the word of God. If the spirit of God is in you, it will make your body obey your confession. Amen. If you confess by his stripes I'm healed, that that's a reality to you. He will make your body line up with that confession. Amen. It has to happen. Amen. Brother Ram says, goes on and he says, the first nature is gone and now we are the nature of him. He lives in us. We don't do our will, we do his will. We spoke on that last night. Not our will, but his will be done. We don't think our own thoughts. The mind is what thinks and the mind that was in Christ Jesus is in every believer. Amen. So we're speaking about the character. Now the character, the molding of your character is also the molding of your mind. It's the molding of your spirit. So that is, you know, that which is in the soul begins to take over in the mind realm because in the mind realm is where the greatest battle ever fought is. It's the mind battle. That's where Satan meets God in the battle of your mind, the word against unbelief in your mind. And, and uh, as much as you receive the word and the character process of the molding of you, you see, when you receive, I mean, I just have to lay it out here for you. Sorry, it's just, I'm not an evangelist. If you came to see an evangelist, you came to the wrong service. 
but I'm more, I'm more a different kind of preacher. I, I never learned to preach from anybody. I kind of lived, some of you know, I lived up here in the middle of nowhere called Grand Prairie, and uh, I learned to preach from Brother Branham. That's all, all I had as a teacher, and so that's, that's all I learned. But you know, the, the mind that's in you, the character that's in you is molded because we know that faith comes by hearing the Word. And so as you receive the Word, it builds faith in you, and faith is not a belief. It's not a belief system. Faith is a substance. Faith is a reality. Brother Branham calls it a sixth sense. And so as that faith is deposited within the son or daughter of God by them receiving the word, then as that faith is built, then God tries the faith. It's a trying of your faith. Amen. The trials that you go through is for the trying of your faith. And that's why James says, let the trying of your faith have it perfect work that it might work out patience in your life, which brings perfection. All right, so God's building this character, us receiving the word. A lot of time we think, are you with me so far? A lot of times we think, all I need is faith. No, that's just the beginning. When God reveals something to you and builds up that faith within you, then God's going to put you through experiences to try the faith. And then when you see that the faith is there, because faith is a substance an evidence of things that are not seen. Faith is a reality, but it's not a consciousness. Faith is unconscious. And you might not even know it's there until the trying of your faith takes place. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I have more faith than I thought I had. Because it's God proving the faith that he put in you. All right, hold that there. So the mind of Christ is so that you always react according to the word of God. I want to take, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to take our Bibles tonight and go to a couple of places. I hope that's all right. Revelation chapter 1. And verse 13. Now John In Revelation 1, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, that doesn't mean he was in the Spirit on Sunday. Some people, that's the only time they get in the Spirit. But John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, or in other words, in the Spirit, he was transported over onto our day, the day of the Lord. And so now he begins to see things unfolded that pertain to our day. All right, and in verse 13, he, begin, he hears this voice and he turns to see and he, he begins to describe. Uh, in verse 12, start at 12, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. We know that's the seven church ages. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and, the, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, and they, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. We know that's the seven messengers. 
And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word, of course. And his countenance was as it were the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And, lay, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. We're going to stop there. Have the keys of hell, of hell and of death. The righteous judge now, he's girt about the paps. He's not girt about the loins which would represent his priesthood. Now he's coming to the end time. And he's changing his office from priest to judge. And as he's changing his office here in the midst of the church, he announces to John, he says, I am he that has the key of, keys of hell and death. Where did he get those keys from? He went and took them. Amen. He went to hell and took them from the devil. He paid the price. He took his position as the Lamb of God. He made the, the only provided sacrifice. And, and he showed by taking the keys of hell and of death that the devil has no right over the elect anymore. The full price has been paid. Hallelujah. Oh, that'll make us rejoice tonight. We just re, when just we hear those statements, it just reverberates within our hearts. The devil has no rights over us. Amen. Amen. Christ alone has the key of hell and of death. The price is paid. All blessings to the atonement is released. It wasn't just a nice negotiation between Christ and the devil. When Jesus went down to hell, Brother Branham describes it in several different places as a, as a bit of a physical confrontation. Now, we know it wasn't physical, but it was a warfare. And he says in one place, he says, I can see him smite the devil in the face. I would have loved to have been there and say, give him one for me. And pull the keys off and hang it on his side and start for the heavens. Amen. Another place, he says, he put his foot on the neck of the devil and took the keys of death away from him, and rose on the third day. Amen. Another place he says he turns around and gives him a good healthy kick, and slams the door together and says, stay in there. I'm the boss from now on. Amen. If we could just get that revelation tonight that he's the boss. The devil's not the boss. What the devil's telling you is irrelevant. Had a young man in our church come up for prayer recently, and he says, the devil's speaking to me. And we had a, had a couple of ministers uh, were standing there praying with me and uh, for him, and he says, the devil's speaking to me. I says, oh, is that right? So I turned to Brother Murphy. I says, does the devil speak to you, Brother Murphy? He says, sure. I turned to the other brother. I think it was Brother Michael. I said, Brother Michael, does, it might have been Brother John. Does the devil speak to you? He says, sure. The devil speaks to all of us. That's not the problem. It's what you do with what the devil says. The greatest battle fought is in the mind. He's going to speak to you. He's going to try and tell you that he's the boss, but he's not the boss. Jesus took the keys and Jesus is the boss. Amen. See, Jesus put his foot. Brother Bram said the devil, but I'll just say he put his foot on every demon. 
Every demon, don't think that it was easy as Jesus went down and preached to souls in prison, preached to rebellious human beings, spirits of the lost that are captive in prison, that had rejected the word, and he told them, the word that was preached to you is exactly the truth, and I am that word. And I want you to know you've got no hope for rejecting the word of God. And I'm sure he wasn't getting a lot of amens. Not only that, I'm sure there were a lot of demons that were there. Listen, there were a lot of cancer demons that were trying to throw cancer on Jesus. You say, well, Jesus didn't have his body there. Well, they were trying to get him to believe in cancer. But Jesus wasn't going to believe in cancer. He was the atonement. He knew who he was, and he knew that, that demons of cancer had no right over him. I'm sure there were demons of anxiety that were whispering in his ear, oh, you're not really going to ascend out of hell. We've got you. You're going to be here forever. But Jesus just preached the word. I won't be here three days. I'm going to be out of here, and I'll be back walking upon the earth. And after that, I will ascend up on the right hand of my Father. The devil trying to put fear in his mind. There are all kinds of demons gathered around trying to whisper fear. Oh, it's not going to work out the way you think. Everything's going sideways. Nobody loves you. Nobody, anybody heard these words before? Nobody cares about you. Oh, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your children. You're going to lose this. You're going to lose that. Those demons were whispering to Jesus too. And they were trying to get him to disbelieve who he was. But Jesus walked by perfect faith in what the word said he was. And as Jesus walked by perfect faith in what the word said he was, the bride is called to walk by perfect faith in what the word says we are. Amen. How many believe that tonight? It's not what the devil says. It's what the word says you are. Hallelujah. What a battle was going on down there. That was the first Easter convention. Hallelujah. And not a single believer there. At least not in the first meeting. But by the end of the meetings, they were all believers. Not in hell but in paradise as he began to ascend. Amen. Now remember, as we quoted last night, out of the promise of this age, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and sit in my Father's throne. Is that what he says? All right, now I'm preaching to you the overcoming in hell. In case you didn't realize it, you're living in hell. Hell has been opened up upon the earth. 200,000 spiritual demons, demonic powers. Surely I don't need to describe to you the evil that's going on around you. As it was in the days of Noah. When the thoughts of men were continually evil towards God. As it was in the days of Sodom. If you haven't recognized that you're living in Sodom, you have not opened your eyes. It's Sodom all around us. People don't have a clue what it means to be in their right mind anymore. I don't want to go into the details of it. You know what I'm talking about. 
then it's not just on the internet. It's walking down the streets. It's in the schools. It's in the school uh, trustee boards. There was a, a woman that was put out of a school, uh, uh, school board meeting as a trustee here in Canada because she just asked questions about their stance on certain perversions that they're allowing in the schools. And they put her right out of the meeting, told her, you can't even come to the meeting. She was elected. I'll tell you what, the freedoms are going here. The sodomites are taking over. And But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. And he says, now, as I overcame, so will you overcome. Every demon that Jesus overcame is every demon that you will overcome. Can you say amen to that? We are now on the earth with the manifestation of these demons. And as Jesus put his foot on their neck in his resurrection, we are putting our foot on their neck in our resurrection. There's no demon that's going to rule over us. The devil is already defeated. We we know the mighty conqueror personally, and we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus that loved us. Amen. And so he took the keys from the devil, the keys of hell and of death, And he went up, ascended out of hell. We'll get into that tomorrow morning. Emptied paradise of the Old Testament saints. But but that was a great meeting. That was the best meeting of the convention. As he stepped into paradise, Brother Brown describes it, he knocks on the door. And he says, and he says, they ask, who is it? And they, they will say, Abraham opened the door. And he said, he's the promised seed. He's standing at the door. Amen. When Adam looked at him, Eve looked at him, it's the seed of the woman. Amen. When Moses looked at him, it's the mighty prophet that was to come. When Isaiah looked at him, it's the one born of a virgin. You know, everyone saw him according to the word in their day. And they recognized him by the word in their day. And what a rejoicing they must have had. Now is the time. Even though they weren't in hell, they were in paradise. But now the word had come to empty out paradise and bring them into the presence of God. He was going to bring out a resurrection upon the earth. And oh, there was such an anticipation now. The one that was promised has now come. I wonder if Simeon had passed away. I'm sure he had. Maybe he was one of the last ones that are there that says, Lord, let me now depart for I have seen thy salvation and there he was and he said oh it's the salvation of the Lord again praise be to God we're rejoicing now in his presence listen do you understand what has happened in Revelation 10 the mighty angel has descended with the book open and what is it that you see what is it that you're looking on what is it you hear when seven thunders have uttered their voices what is it that has been declared in your ears it's Jesus Christ fully revealed hallelujah here we are amongst souls in prison in this age but we're not souls in prison hallelujah we're rejoicing listen do you love the word tonight We're rejoicing in this message. This is the greatest message that struck the earth. Seven thunders uttered their voices. What was in those seven thunders? It was the mysteries that were revealed. 
to bring rapturing faith into the church. Hallelujah. It's Christ come amongst us in the revealing of his word, the voice that we sang about just before I came to the pulpit. It's the voice that we're hearing that sets us free. Hallelujah. And here he stands in the midst of the church as the righteous judge in these last days, ready to execute judgment. Where are you standing? Oh, Lord, he's, he's going to judge. He was priest. Now he's become judge. Where are you standing in the book of Genesis? You're standing in Genesis 18 because there Abraham saw him coming to judge Sodom. He had met him as priest, Melchizedek, Genesis 14. But now in Genesis 18, he's come in a different form. It's the same one. Amen? Who is Melchizedek? It's Christ. Who is, who is on the plains of Mamre, Genesis 18? It's Christ or Elohim. And there Abraham, seeing him now, he's coming to judge Sodom. He's coming down because of the cries that he's heard from Sodom. Listen, there's cries that are going out in this age. And the judge is standing ready. The only thing that has to happen is that the, the elect of the hour have to receive the promised son for their lives. Amen. Now before we... I got to take a corner here, is this, if it's all right with you, and I'll do it even if it's not all right with you, Amen. if that's okay with you. Amen. And uh, before we get into righteous judgment, let's talk about righteousness, because sometimes, and maybe for the young people, we don't know what righteousness really is. Now turn with me to Romans chapter four. We're going to just look at it right in the scripture here. As Paul here takes in the book of Romans and begins to unfold righteousness, true righteousness in the sight of God. And he says here in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. All right, now Paul's laying out righteousness here. He says it's not of works. It's not how good you are or how bad you are. It's not that Abraham was anything special. He says Abraham was just an ordinary man. But God came to him and called him out of the city of Ur. And then God began to reveal himself to, to Abraham in that day. And what is the new birth? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. All right? So now as God began to reveal himself to Abraham, and I want you to follow along with me here, God, it begins to show us that it's not anything Abraham did, it's God speaking to him. And it's Abraham's response to what God says to him. Now to him, verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. In other words, if you have anything to do with it, God owes you righteousness. But God doesn't owe any man righteousness. 
that righteousness comes only from God. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Stay there in that faith level. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Nothing. God imputes righteousness without anything you did or did not do. Can you say amen to that? All right. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? All right, now we take another step. The Apostle Paul here is taking another step and says, is circumcision involved here? Because that, of course, brings us to the Jews. It says, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness, and you all already said amen to that. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? He's saying, was faith reckoned before or after he was circumcised? It was before. He says, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. All right? And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had being yet uncircumcised. All right, hold your finger there. I'm going to just read you something here that Brother Branham said. He said, here some time ago, I was speaking to a great fundamental brother. He said, what more can a man do but believe? I said, That's all he can do, but God can do more. He said, Abraham believed God, Brother Branham, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. I said, that's right. But he gave him the seal of circumcision as a confirmation of his faith. And I said, if you haven't received the Holy Ghost since you believe, God's never confirmed that he's accepted your faith. For the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the confirmation that God has accepted your faith. All right? Hold on to that now. Because sometimes we, we go, we take these statements and we go strange places in our mind. I want to just nail this down tonight because I want you to realize where this, how this all fits in your life and how important it is. All right? So let's jump back into verse 11. All right, he received the sign of circumcision. Brother Ram says that's the type of the Holy Ghost. A seal of the righteousness of the faith. So Abraham already had faith, and he already had righteousness, and then he received circumcision. Is that right? Am I reading it right? Okay. He says, which he had being yet uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believed Though they be not circumcised, the righteousness, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, 
which he had, the faith which he had, being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You with me so far? All right. Therefore, you won't get the Holy Ghost until you really believe. Is that what he's saying? Right? Faith brings righteousness, and when God recognizes your faith, he seals you with the Holy Ghost. All right? That's, I want to just lay this out because sometimes we have, I hate to say it, a Pentecostal idea of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And uh, you'll see as we get into it here. It's not because you pray that you get the Holy Ghost. It's not because you fast that you get the Holy Ghost. Neither is it because you're sincere enough nor desperate enough. The Bible says that even Esau sought a place of repentance with tears and could not find it. You could not find anyone more desperate than Esau to find a place of repentance to be able to receive the blessing. All right, so you, there's only one way to get the Holy Ghost. You must take the word that God sends to you and believe the word. And when God sees the faith that you have in the word that he sends to you, he recognizes your faith and seals you with the Holy Ghost. He gives you the Holy Ghost as a sign or a seal of your righteousness. So I can't even say that the Holy Ghost is your righteousness. And that's where we come to a mistaken impression. And I know I've discussed this with your pastor, so I know I'm not stepping out of line in this. But we can't even uh, take the thought of, listen, your problems are your problems. You just need the Holy Ghost. That's not it. The Holy Ghost doesn't deliver you of your problems. Your faith delivers you of your problems. And when God recognizes your faith, he seals you with the Holy Ghost unto the day of your redemption. Hallelujah. So then what is it, Brother Tim? It's back to only belief. And Brother Branham talking to the fundamental brother, he says, what else can I do but believe? Brother Branham says, well, actually, if you haven't received the Holy Ghost since you believe, you actually don't really believe. That's where the problem is. People are putting their faith in the wrong kinds of things. And young people, it's not about just, oh, if I could just get the Holy Ghost, my life would be different. My, you know, all my troubles would be gone. No, that's not it. You just believe. You just get into the Word. And you let the Word have an effect upon your soul until you know you believe the Word more than anything else. And then God sends down the Holy Ghost as a seal of your faith. Amen. That's the reality of the Christian experience. Brother Bram says in another place, Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of your redemption. The seal of God, God's recognition as you as a believer, seals you into the body by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me turn it, let me now phrase it another way. You still with me? These are fundamental things I know, but it's good for us sometimes, isn't it? Remind us how God deals with us. God will not give you the Holy Ghost to make you a believer. 
Let me just anchor that one down tonight. God will not give you the Holy Ghost to make you a believer. God gives you the Holy Ghost because you are a believer. Hallelujah. That's the reality of God's covenant. So it's not just get the Holy Ghost. It is only believe. All right, can we go to one more scripture? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. And don't get me wrong, Brother Tim believes in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad I've been sealed to the day of my redemption. I'm glad when the Holy Ghost came in, it changed my nature. And it absolutely burned out all the unbelief in me. There's no doubt about that. But before that could happen, there had to be a faith drop in there. What is faith? Faith comes by hearing the word. Faith is a revelation that God gives you personally. God took Abraham out on the, on the backside of the desert, where we're going to read here. But he took Abraham out and he showed him the stars of the heaven. And he said, so shall your seed be. And the Bible says Abraham believed God. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. And then gave him the seal of circumcision in his life. What was it? God sent him the word for his life. And God has sent you the word for this age. He has taken this Bible and he has revealed the mysteries of it. Oh, if you could understand that. Jesus said, the desires. I was just ministering on that Wednesday night. The desires the, the scripture says that, that our desires would be fulfilled. The desires of the revelation of the word. He said to the disciples, he says, men of old, the prophets of old, desired to see the things that you see. And they didn't see him. Isaiah desired to see Jesus. Jeremiah desired to see Jesus. Ezekiel desired to see the reality. It wasn't their day. But now we've come to another desire. And do you realize that when Luther took this Bible and, and interpreted it into German, he was so yearning and desiring that the mysteries in this book would be loosed. He didn't understand it all. He was desiring, oh, that I could really give the full revelation of this to my people. He could interpret it. He could write it into German, and the people could read it, but it wasn't for their age, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Hallelujah. This day, when this message comes, when he shall begin to sound, all that Luther yearned for, all that Wesley yearned for, all that Columba yearned for, and St. Martin, and, and Irenaeus, and all of those that they yearned for, everything that they were yearning for, blessed are your eyes. For they see, blessed are your ears. Don't take it lightly. Hear my voice this evening. Don't take it lightly. Luther yearned to see what you see. Hallelujah. Press into it with everything that's within you. Say, oh God, give me the revelation of this message and all that it means to me personally. Because when God spoke to Abraham and said, so shall your seed be, the Bible says, Abraham believed God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, when God began to open his word to me of these last days and show me things, I just believed God. Say, well, how did you get the Holy Ghost, Brother Tim? He just gave it to me. All of a sudden, my life was changed. The things of the world that used to trouble me troubled me no more. Well, did somebody pray for you, Brother Tim? No. Did somebody lay hands on you, Brother Tim? No. 
Well, well, how did you receive the Holy Ghost then? I believed him. As he revealed himself to me, I believed him. And then all of a sudden I looked at my life and I all of a sudden changed. Something had happened. The rock and roll music that I loved, I now hated. I used to love it and now I hated it. What happened? A nature change. The Holy Ghost came in. Changed my nature because I believed God. Amen. The Holy Ghost came in. Changed my desires. The lust of the flesh left me. The desires of the flesh, not natural desires, but unnatural demonic desires. They left me. All of those things now became nothing to me. Why? Because God's life come in. Are you with me? Let's, let's read in the scriptures here. Galatians 3 and verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are all, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. And let me put it another way. That no man is justified by what they do in the sight of God, we have the evidence. The just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. But notice how God spoke to Abraham. He didn't bring to him the doctrines of worship or of the reality of God or even the fact that he didn't come to Abraham and say, Abraham, do you believe there's a God? That wasn't how God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham concerning who Abraham was. He spoke to Abraham concerning his seed that would possess the land. He spoke to Abraham concerning the promised seed in whom all the nations would be blessed. He spoke to Abraham concerning his future. He spoke to Abraham concerning his place. Amen. Sometimes, you know, people might look at you as a believer and say, oh, you think you're special. Well, we're not special in any special skill or any special intelligence or anything like that. But all we can say is God spoke to us. Why God spoke to me and not to my next door neighbor, I don't know. I'm not God. I'm just the one he spoke to. And when he spoke to me, I believed him. And I still believe him. As an evidence that I really believed him in the first place. Because he sealed me back there. And that seal has kept me all along the way. There's not a doubt in my mind. Though my life goes up and down, I end up in valleys and sometimes on mountaintops. I end up in battles that seem like they're hot and heavy and out of control and end up in times of peace. It doesn't matter what way it goes. There's still something sealed on the inside of the inside. 
Amen. Brother Branham said when he lost his wife and his daughter and the devil came to him and says, you know he's God, but he wouldn't even hear your prayer for your wife and your daughter. Now think about that for a moment. Brother Branham was praying a man that he had prayed for the sick before and God had healed them and he prayed for his wife, his own wife, and he prayed for his own daughter. And, and, and God just, he, Brother Branham said it's like a black sheet came down. It wasn't a literal black sheet. He says it was like a black sheet. My prayers didn't go anywhere. Not even a peep from God. Not even a sound. What was God doing? He had already deposited faith in his prophet. Now he was putting that faith to the test. Amen. And that faith was under a great trial. And the prophet of God said, the devil came to me and tried to tell me, he doesn't care about you. See all these bad things that are happening in your life. Just prove that God doesn't love you. I can tell you've heard that line from the devil before. Amen. And there was the prophet of God said, you know what? Maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe he doesn't love me. And he began to think, well, if he doesn't love me, I guess there's no need of serving him. And he says, I was about to say that I'm not going to serve him, but something deep down on the inside rose up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was it? The word that was quickened in him. God was showing the devil, see, you can't make a seed of God doubt once they've been sealed. Their faith has been sealed. They've been sealed to the day of their redemption. It doesn't matter how bleak it looks in their eyes. No doubt God and Satan had a conversation. And Satan said, just back up from him and don't hear his prayers. I'll make him doubt you. He couldn't make him doubt him. No more than he can make Job doubt God. No matter what situation Job was in, Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. God began to real, reveal to Abraham who he was, what his place was. Now Abraham loved Lot, that was his nephew, but Lot had to take his place. This revelation was not for Lot. See, just because someone can't see the message doesn't mean they don't believe in God. Many people that believe in God I was in a meeting with some men one time many years ago. I don't know if I've shared this here in Edmonton, but you know, I was discussing with highly educated. They were way more educated than I was. I won't tell you how little education I got. It might stumble you. But these men were university educated, masters and doctor's degrees and all of these things. And uh, a friend of mine had asked me to testify to them. And so I was talking to them about the message and the things that God had done in our day. And, and, uh, and you know, they began to come it's almost like the marriage supper, right? They, almost, they begin to come, each one with their excuse. Well, I bought me a cow. I married me a wife. I bought a piece of land. You know, everybody's got their reason for not believing the message of the hour. And so, so finally I realized, okay, I'm kind of beating my head against the wall here. And I said to them, there was, I think, four or five of them. And I said to them, I says, let me ask you a question. Because they were all Christians in their, in their understanding. I says, let me ask you a question. Are you happy with what you have? And what God has shown you. And I went around each one, each one of them at the table. 
I says, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm ha- are you happy with what you got? I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy where I'm at. They all, they all decided, each one individually, that they were happy where they were. I said, well, then let me tell you, that could be all that God has for you. But I'm here to tell you there's more. But if you're happy where you are, stay happy. Abraham could not make Lot a believer. I'm not saying he was an unbeliever, but he could not get him to believe in Abraham's revelation. So Lot had to go to his place and fulfill his purpose. And it wasn't that Lot didn't believe. Lot got a visitation of angels. Come on. Lot got delivered physically from Sodom. He was delaying and the angels laid hands on him and pulled him out of the city. And his wife and his daughters, and of course his wife turned back and as Jesus said, remember Lot's wife as she looked back at the world and turned to a pillar of salt. And, then, and Lot's wife, you know how it unfolds, Lot's family, you know how it unfolds from there. But Abraham was required to separate himself from Lot. He didn't want to, but God forced the issue. We don't want to separate from anybody. We want everybody to believe all of God's word. I hope you can catch what I'm saying tonight. We don't discriminate against nobody. We don't call nobody out. We never write anybody off. That's not it. But we're walking with God like Abraham. God's revealing his word. And if somebody wants to walk, the Bible says, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? If somebody wants to walk on a different pathway, that's nothing to us. You know, even when Peter came to Jesus, I thought of preaching on this today. Even when Peter came to Jesus and says, what, what's going to happen to John? He says, well, what will happen to him? You know, you told me, Peter, what would happen to me and how that I would be led and what my final end would be. But what about John? And Jesus just turns to Peter and says, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It's not your business what's going to take place in John's life. I'll deal with John about John's life. And I'll deal with Peter about Peter's life. And I'll deal with you about your life individually. Amen. And if God has opened up this end time message to you and you begin to see these wonderful truths that have been revealed, you need to raise your hands to God and praise God and say, I'm so thankful God has opened my eyes. I'm so thankful I'm not out there in the world. I'm so thankful I'm not in a bar room tonight. I'm so thankful my marriage isn't broken up. I'm so thankful my children are still with me in church. I'm so thankful for these things. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory. God blessed Abraham when he separated himself from all unbelief. And we find Genesis 15, we won't turn to it, that he takes him abroad, shows him the stars, and the Bible says he believes God. When God says, so shall your seed be, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed that it was the truth. That's all. His life changed. Abraham walked on 25 years after the promise. He was sealed by the seal of circumcision. And he walked 25 years believing the promise, growing stronger in faith. So I want to ask you, seed of Abraham, how's your faith in the rapture? That's your promise. 
Is it stronger today than when you first believed? If you're a seed of Abraham, it will be. If it really was quickened to you, really revealed to you, and you really believe God, and God sealed you with the Holy Ghost, it just gets more real every day. Just like Abraham, though Abraham got older, and we got to see ourselves there, though the circumstances surrounding Abraham's life concerning the promise got worse. The circumstances got worse. The circumstances around you are getting worse. Can you still believe tonight? Amen. Amen. Then you must be a seed of Abraham. Now let me say to those that don't have the Holy Ghost, you cannot complain that God doesn't give you the Holy Ghost. The problem isn't on God, the problem's on you. God wants to give you the Holy Ghost. And what is he doing? He's looking at your faith. It's either you simply don't believe what God is telling you, or you refuse to seek God. It's just that simple. I don't feel sorry for people with the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. That's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? I don't feel sorry for people that don't seek God. I can't feel sorry for you. Two women came to Spurgeon, and I'm sure I've told this story here before, after the service, and they were moved by the powerful preaching of Charles Spurgeon. And and the one said to him, they both said to him, you know, we we just want to talk to you for a moment. And, And he says, well, let me talk to you, he says, says to the one woman. He says, do you accept what Christ has done for you? Paid the price for your sins? She says, yes, I accept it. He says, wonderful, you need to be baptized in the name, in the, I don't know, sure how Spurgeon was baptizing. And, and so then he said to the other woman, he was probably a Trinitarian because it wasn't revealed yet in that day. But nevertheless, he turns to the other woman and he says to the other woman, do you accept what Christ has done for you? She says, I, I don't know if I can. Will you pray for me? He said, no. He says, if you don't accept what Christ has done, my prayers are not going to change that. That's not what prayers are for. I'll pray for you if you accept what Christ has done for you. If God has spoken to you tonight, you need to accept what he speaks to you. You, and, and realize that you're sitting here in the service like they were then with an opportunity. You have heard the eternal word of God and it's coming from the presence of God through a weak vessel, but it's coming through the pres- from the presence of God and ministering to your soul. And as his word strikes your soul, it's no different than Abraham looking out there, out on the plains, up at the stars, and God saying, so shall your seed be. It's no different to you tonight. God's word comes into your heart and it strikes you and it says he's, it's for you. You need to say to God, I believe you, Lord. I accept what you're telling me. I accept what Christ did for me. I accept every promise of the word of God. Don't ever complain that he hasn't given you the Holy Ghost. It's the problem is, and I'll just say the problem is not your effort. The problem is your faith. There's only one way to increase your faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. I've preached real straight here this weekend. And I've I kind of been that way lately. Just real, real straight with God's people. 
Don't mess around. You know, you want God? Get God. He's available. He's fully available. He's available tonight. Surrender yourself. Get your own thoughts away from the word. Get those doubts that the devil puts in your mind totally away from you. And say, God, I'm going to go from this service believing you. I'm going to reject every lie of the devil, and I'm going to accept every promise of the Word of God. And you watch God come in and quicken your faith and seal you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. He says in the Easter seal, 1965, he says, when we believe on Jesus Christ for our Savior and repent and are baptized and come up to believe him, God recognizes our repentance and our faith towards him and sends down the abstract. Hallelujah. It's just that simple. Jeremiah, God spoke to Jeremiah concerning Israel. He says, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. In other words, that your heart's not divided between the things of God and the things of the world. Because if your heart is divided, you really haven't believed God. It's just that simple. But God says, you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. In, in 2 Kings chapter, or 1 Kings chapter 2, David speaking to Solomon and instructing him to follow the word of God. He gives him this, char- or this reason. He says, keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies. As it's written in the law of the Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and wherever you turn. That the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me. Saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart. And with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. David, your lineage will not sit on my throne because you're such a great guy. Listen now. I don't have grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. You're not walk, you're not gonna sit in position because your parents are a great believer. But God said to David, and David commanded Solomon, you get into the word. You follow God's statutes. And if you follow God's way, the promise he made me will come upon you and your children and the following generations. Amen. Are you with me tonight? God's ways are simple and perfect and will never uh, fail to come to pass because God keeps his word. We could go into, you know, if we just look at the lineage of David, I'm going to change directions here and again. But if we just look at Rehoboam, we had David and then Solomon and then Rehoboam. And we know in Rehoboam, the kingdom was divided. Why? The Bible gives us the reason. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. It's just that simple. Saints, it's just that simple. God is available to each and every person under the sound of my voice. Sometimes, excuse me, older believers for saying it this way, but sometimes for the young people, you need to say it this way. Don't mess around with God. Yeah. 
God is not one to be messed around with. He knows our heart. He knows what we're doing. We can sit in a service. We can act like a believer. We can be in home. Mom and dad think we're doing all right. God knows where you're at. You want to prosper? You want to come to your position? You seek God until you know you believe the word above everything else. You watch the Holy Ghost come in. Hallelujah. And fill your life with his own nature. I got to move on. Now John, being caught up in the spirit in the book of Revelation, seeing the one that has the keys of hell and of death in his hand, he was seeing his hair as white as snow, which represented a supreme judge that was now being made known. See, Christ was moving from his priesthood to his judgment, from priest to judge. The, the, the girdle, which is the, the part that holds the garment together in the old days, had moved from the loins up to the paps, representing now, I'm no longer priest, I'm now judge. See, he's identifying in his, in his unveiling of himself in these last days, this is judgment time. That's why in 1964, when he instructed Brother Branham to throw a rock up into the air, and it, it started this, uh, an event that caused a whirlwind, that caused a blast to hit the mountain, that caused the voice of God to sound, judgment is striking the West Coast. And a few days after that, 1964 earthquake in Alaska. And all of those things now begin to unfold. What was God doing? He's signifying judgment is just ahead. The ju he's moving from his priesthood to his judgment. Sometimes we, listen, sometimes we like to make everything chronological. It's not chronological. Don't get it in your mind. Well, what day does mercy end and judgment set in? Because God's eternal. He doesn't know a day. He operates by events. He knows the final event that will cause the final seed to be quickened by the word of God. And when that final elect comes into God's kingdom, then judgment is upon the earth. The, the final catching away takes place. All the events begin to unfold. But he describes, Brother Bradham describes it in, in the church age book, and he goes back to the book of Daniel and shows how Daniel also saw him with the white hair. And that he was the judge opening the books and judging out of them. Daniel saw him coming in clouds. That's what John saw. They both saw him exactly the same. They saw the judge with his judgment girdle over his shoulders, standing pure and holy, full of wisdom, fully qualified to judge the world in righteousness. All right? He's the righteous judge because he's the word. For we know that the world will be judged by the word of God. And as you receive the word, you become the word. All right? Revelation 19 describes him as his name being the word of God. I don't have time to read you all the places or some of the places where Brother Branham talks about, you know, that it is the bride that must come to her position in the, in the throne. For she will be a part of the judgment. She will not be judged. We are judged here, but we are part of that judgment that will take place in the future. Paul describes him in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going quickly now. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Amen. The righteous judge has a crown of righteousness for you who love his appearing. Amen. John chapter 7, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, I have done one work. Or he says to the people, I've done one work and you all marvel. All right, here we come now down in to make it personal. Are you with me? Amen. Jesus says now to the people, he says, I've done one mighty work and you all marvel. And verse 22 of John 7, he says, Moses gave you gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. And if a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. There was an argument going on because Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath day. He had a withered hand and they were watching him on the Sabbath day to see if he would do anything because his minist- part of his ministry was of divine healing showing that part of the covenant. And so they're watching him really closely and finally he says to the man, because the man must have had faith. The man was coming to Jesus as I got faith. His faith overrode any Sabbath superstition. He was taught wrong as he was raised. And now he's standing in the presence of Almighty God in flesh in Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have faith to be healed. Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched forth his hand and it becomes perfectly whole. And they're upset with that because it happens to be the Sabbath day. That's how religious people can get. They can start judging things wrong. And that's why Jesus in the scripture here, he says to them, you're mad with me, angry with me because I made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Amen. In other words, if you're going to judge righteous judgment, then it has to be according to faith. Because righteousness only comes by faith. So they could not judge righteous judgment because they had no faith. But when you have faith, the word of God is revealed to you and you can make the right judgment. As I said yesterday, that's what God's doing right now is molding your character by the trying of your faith to show you right righteous judgment is. To show you it's Jesus when they brought to him the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. What was he doing there? They didn't have faith, but he was all faith. And he stood there, the word of God, and they said, she's broken the law. We caught her in the very act of adultery. The law says that she should be stoned. What say you? And Jesus simply said, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. And they all went away one by one as they were all condemned. And then Jesus says to the woman, says, did no man condemn you? She says, none, Lord. She says, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop there. He says, now go your way and sin no more. Amen. Repent of your sins. Believe God. Righteousness has come by your way. It takes character. If character is the ability to make the right decisions, and therefore it shows that you are fit to rule, then righteous judgment is the decision that is made at the appropriate time or opportunity. Judge righteous judgment. All right. 
two prostitutes are brought to Solomon. You know the story. They had both had a child. And during the night, one of them laid over her child and smothered it to death. And she noticed that she had killed her child. So while the other one slept, she very sneakily switched the babies and took the live baby to herself. And the other one woke up and saw the dead baby, but then saw it wasn't her baby. A mother knows her baby. And the other mother said, no, 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 that's, that's your baby, this one's mine. And they began to fuss, and then finally the case was brought before the king. Now here's Solomon. You know, he's called to judge the case. And God had promised to give him a spirit of wisdom and of discernment so that he could judge righteous judgment. He needed a revelation, and the revelation was not exactly to know which one, was, whose child belonged to which one. Well, this one looks like you, and this one looks like you, or, you know, uh, this one looks more like you. He couldn't do that. That's judging by appearance. Jesus says, don't judge by the way things appear. But now Solomon's standing there, and he's waiting on God. What is the right judgment in this case? And God inspires him, and he says, bring me a sword. And they come with a sword. He says, now take the baby and divide it in half. Give half to this one and half to this one. And the real mother, the false mother said, sounds good to me. Because she was bitter from losing her own baby. The bitterness had exposed her. But the real mother said, no, 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 no. Give it all to her. If the baby's going to live only by being with one of us, then let her have it. And Solomon says, now I know who the real mother is. Judge righteous judgment. David came, on the, came uh, to a place in his life where he had made a terrible mistake in that he had not only slept with Bathsheba and impregnated her, but also he had sent Bathsheba's husband to the front of the battle lines to be killed in the battle. And it is instructed his general to make the circumstances such, such that to make sure that Uriah died. And that's such is the power of a king. Now David didn't come to the kingship without character, but now his character was pushed to the background. And he thought, if I don't do something, I'm going to be exposed here. There's going to be trouble in my kingdom. Listen, there was going to be trouble in his kingdom anyway. And now the prophet comes into Nathan, or the Nathan, Nathan the prophet comes into David and says, David, let me tell you a story. There was a man that only had one lamb. He says, and there was a rich man that had many sheep. He says, and the man that only had one lamb, you know, he just loved that one lamb. It laid in his bosom. It was everything to him. He says, and the rich man, when he received a visitor, he, see, he took and, and sent for and got the, the, one, the poor man's one lamb and killed it and gave it to the visitor to eat. And David's righteous indignation, now it wasn't righteous indignation, David's anger rose up. His legalism rose up. And he said, oh, how could somebody do such a thing? Sometimes we feel that way. How could they claim to be a believer and do such a thing? How can they claim to be a seed of Abraham and do such a thing? We look at one another sometimes. And we, we have to be careful. That's why the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. 
It wasn't saying you're not going to judge. It was saying that make sure that the judgment you mete out is the one you want coming back on you. Because that's exactly what David was doing. And in his anger, he says, that man that took that lamb, he'll surely die. And, his, and out of his goods, that man will be restored tenfold. I forget what it was, tenfold or hundredfold and all that. And David was just sure, oh my, my this just stir, disturbs me so bad that he's done such a thing. And Nathan says to him, actually, you're that man. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I hope sometimes we don't get like David. When we look at somebody else and say, how could they do such a thing? Look at their family. Look at their situation. Look what he's done here. Look what she's done there. How would we look at the woman caught in the very act of adultery? If she was amongst us. Remember I said yesterday, our tabernacle is a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost with a purpose of molding our character to project divine love. Because that's what Jesus did everywhere he went. When he looked at Zacchaeus there in the city of, what was it, Jericho, that Zacchaeus lived, and as he looked at him there and, and uh, saw, what, he knew what kind of a man Zacchaeus was. But he said, Zacchaeus, you know what? I'm coming to your house today. Make haste. I'm coming to have lunch at your place. Nobody else wanted lunch at Zacchaeus' place, but Jesus went there. Divine love went there. God's love projected went there to Zacchaeus' house. And when divine love was projected, it had, that atmosphere had an effect on Zacchaeus' heart, and he realized how wrong he had been. See, it doesn't do any good, saints, if the message is just a legal approach. It doesn't do any good if we just take the words of the prophet or, uh, that, have, that have unveiled the word of God and we just apply it in a legalistic way. This is right, this is wrong. There are wrongs and there are rights. But if we just take it there and say, you gotta live like this without divine love being projected, it will never produce the results. We must project love. I was thankful for that booth that I heard about. And you know, you're trying to do something that somebody would come into an atmosphere of people with the Holy Ghost. Amen. That they would sense there is a people that love God. There is a people that love is projected from them. And maybe there's a seed in that group of people that you met. Maybe there's somebody that's predestinated to eternal life, like the woman at the well that thought her life was over. It's miserable. There's no hope for her at all. Nobody will have nothing to do with her. But the word came by her way. That's what we're taking to people. That's what we're taking into these countries. That's what we took into Ethiopia 10 years ago. Why, what did we take in there? Only the word. But there was a people there that were hungry for the word of God. Listen, just recently, let me tell you how God operates. This is more related to the infinite God that I want to preach on tomorrow. Is this okay? You still with me? Give me just a few more minutes. I know I got to close. But the, the works of God are so supernatural when you just let God do it. Brother Branham says, a vision doesn't heal anybody. It lets them know that a supernatural being is present, and that builds faith. Amen. Amen. That's what we want. We want people to know that a supernatural being is present. If we'll just get out of the way, that's a gift, get out of the way, and let God do it. It's not what we do for God. It's what we get out of the way and let God do. 
if you can see the difference there. There's a, there's a church now, a stable church in Ethiopia, a couple churches actually in several little groups around the country now, and, and that's all wonderful, but God is sovereign, and he won't lose one. I want you to apply this in your life, to your family, to your children. You might have children that are way out there, might seem like a million miles from God. It's irrelevant. There was this man was a UPC bishop in a town about 500 miles from Addis Ababa, the capital, where the, the first church there is. And so he was down there in his town. I can't remember the name of the town. I'm going to meet him, Lord willing. I'm, I'm going there next month. And uh, he, was, he had a kind of a hunger to study the history of the UPC church. So he was reading in a book about the beginnings of the UPC church, and he read a name called William Branham, who, according to the book, went off in the end and preached things like serpent seed. Okay? Terrible stuff. And so he, he, he thought, something pricked his heart. He wasn't satisfied. He says, I need to know who this man is. Yeah. And he began to search on the internet. And as he began to search on the internet, he found out there was a message. And he got onto VGR's website. God bless him for having a website. This man found it. And, uh, and so he got on there and started reading the message. Started because he could read English, and he, which is not very common in Ethiopia. And so as he began to read the message, God got a hold of him and changed his heart. And he realized that he needed the message. And so now, this isn't the end of the story, but I'll just say this, that for some reason, VGR did not refer him to the church in Addis Ababa. And that's up to them. But... There was a brother in the church in Addis Ababa, God knows what he's doing, that did some translation for VGR, okay? Why he didn't do it for the message hub, we couldn't understand. Maybe it was for this brother. And so because of that, he got connected to this brother down there and said, well, actually, there's a church here in Addis Ababa. And the man traveled 500 miles to go to the church in Addis Ababa was rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though the UPC baptized in Jesus' name. But yet he realized his revelation was wrong, his revelation of Jesus Christ, and he says, I believe this message. He wrote a letter to his church, renounced his bishopric, totally renounced the church, and says, I don't believe what you guys believe anymore. I believe the truth of this day. And he's now walking in the light of this message, and he says, there's many people that have left the UPC church out there in, in the area that he's from. He says, I'm going to gather them all and introduce them into the message of the hour. This is only a couple months ago. Glory to God. God knows what he's doing. Hallelujah. I'll just say it this way. God let some man put it in a book that William Branham was the beginning of their church, and yet he went off the word and preached false things so that this man in the middle of nowhere in Ethiopia could read that 
And God could anoint his heart just with the name of a man. See, people have trouble with the name William Branham. People don't want, oh, I don't know why you need to follow a prophet or anything like that. Listen, God sent the man. God uses men. If you've got a problem with that, that's not my problem. I happen also to be a man in case you didn't notice. And I believe God sent me, not to that office, a different office. But yet God allowed that to be put in a book to get that soul and all the souls that will come in through him. I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'd love to tell you about Brother Juma in, in Uganda and how that he was against the message. But yet in the midst of it all, maybe I told you last time I was here. Did I tell you about Brother Juma? No, you're shaking your head. He's a young man in an area where the council took a stand against the message because uh, one of the Pentecostal preachers had invited the brothers to come in and preach the message. And, and uh, they all stood against it and he was against it. But the man had the brothers, Brother Stephen Abali and, and uh, Brother James and some of the brothers, they went in and preached anyway. And this young man was in the service, church of about 300 people. And he's a young Pentecostal minister. Being in the service, I'll just say he stayed a little too long. <laughs> Glory to God. God bless you, Sister Leanne. This is your husband's great legacy in that country. These Brother Stephen counts his ministry back to Brother Harold's ministry. And you know, there, was, there they were, he was in, heard the word of God, and he goes back to the council, the Pentecostal council, full gospel council, whatever they call it, and he says, these men are preaching the truth. Why are you against the truth? And they put him out from the council. Sounds like the book of Acts, doesn't it? And he embraced it and brought it to his church, and his whole church come into the message. 300 people. Then he went home to the area that he was from, a little ways off, and he preached to his family and the people over there, and hundreds more came into the message. Amen. It was so bad to the council that they burned his church down. They destroyed his church. They, they ripped it apart. They, they told the person on, who, on whose land he was renting, don't rent to this man anymore. But by God's grace, somebody stepped forward and we were able to buy him a piece of land and set him up just a little tin church and they just had dedication meetings. And through this man now has come in about almost a thousand people into the message. And he came into the message in the beginning of 2022. That's about a year ago. Been a thousand souls just by one man. That's our God. He judged righteous judgment. He judged according to faith. We live in a society that loves to point fingers at each other. We live in a people that, amongst a people that think people should be canceled, whatever that means canceled from social media or from public life because they don't agree with the whatever I think is right. I'll tell you what, I'm here to say tonight, I'll be the first to confess, I don't know everything. I'm sorry if that offends you, you can go now. I don't know everything, but I know the one that knows everything. And I know if I can get out of the way that he can do something supernatural. Hallelujah. We all tend to be judgmental before we make our mistakes. 
But then once we've made our mistakes, we realize, you know what? I make mistakes too. And we realize that every man that God has ever dealt with and every man that God has taken into himself to fulfill his word has made mistakes in their life. If we go back through every member of the Old Testament, it doesn't matter who it is. Judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is to declare the character, proclaim the character of the Word of God. I'm coming now to the end. There was a a woman who washed Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 7. Now, Jesus had been invited to a feast, and the woman, a woman in the city, the Bible says, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee saw it, he spake within himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. He was judging by what he saw. But the righteousness in Jesus was touched by the faith in the woman's heart. Her righteousness was not by her works. It was not, I'll just say, it was in spite of whatever sins she was living. But I'll go further than that. It was not because she washed his feet, nor because she anointed him, or dried his feet with her head. That was not what earned her righteousness. Hello? It was her faith. This is he. Her works was just her faith expressed. And so she was there washing his feet. And Jesus says to Simon, he says, I have something to say to you. And he says, a certain creditor which had two debtors, one old 500 pence, the other 50. He says, uh, uh, and they had nothing to pay, and he forgave them both. Tell me which of them will love him the most. Simon said, I suppose he who forgave the most. And Jesus said, now you've rightly, you've rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into your house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet. Thou gavest me no kiss, but she's not ceased to kiss my feet. My head you did not anoint with oil, but she's anointed my feet. Now watch what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes we miss this. He's saying, listen, you're in debt. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't, you didn't anoint me with oil. You didn't greet me with a kiss. He's saying, this was a sin against Simon. It was a small sin, but it was a sin. But this woman who has many sins... Her faith has moved her to supply what was necessary. It was Simon's lack of faith that caused him not to do the things that he should have done. But it was this woman's faith that caused her to do the very thing that was required. 
Hallelujah. It wasn't because she looked at herself as being anything special. That wasn't it at all. She looked at, matter of fact, Brother Branham says the woman trembled. He says, and Jesus was very careful to sit very still because he knew that if he in any way resisted the woman, she would have quickly run away. But her actions was a result of her faith. She was being quickened by the word. This is the very Messiah. This is the son of David which was to come. I believe this is he. And now she's washing his teeth. Now she's crying on his feet. She's, she's washing his feet and, and, and just anointing him with oil. And she's kissing his feet. And all she knows is if there was some way I could come into the kingdom. And Jesus looks at her in righteous judgment and says, I say to you, Simon, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Right. Hallelujah. Amen. Doesn't matter where you are tonight. What do you say to the Word of God? The Word has come by your way tonight, but what sayest thou? What do you say about the preaching that you've heard tonight that maybe is a little bit different than you're used to hearing? I don't even know who I'm saying this to. What do, you, what, what do you say to the word of God that has come specifically tonight? Is this the truth? Or is it not the truth? You judge, not by appearance, not by the eloquence of my mouth, not by how much I know or don't know. You judge the word of God. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. That woman had judged herself pretty harshly, but the word said to her, your sins which were many are now forgiven. She maybe judged herself as others judged her. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that has others say that you're not very worthwhile. I'll tell you what, if you're believing God's word tonight, your soul is worth 10,000 worlds. And I don't care who you are. And God doesn't care who you are. When we get on the other side, who are the ones that are going to judge the world? Who are the ones going to sit on 12 thrones? Fishermen? Tax collector? Farmers? It's not going to be the educated ones. No, the ones that Jesus chose, the 12 that he said will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. They will sit in judgment. Who are they? They were men of low degree. Peter couldn't even sign his own name. Couldn't even write. But he's the one that had the keys of the kingdom. Why? Because flesh and blood didn't reveal it unto him. But the Father in heaven did reveal it unto him. If you're sick tonight, what's your judgment about your sickness? Jonah was in the, the belly of the whale, the fish actually, a prepared fish. Big old fish swallowed him up there in the, in the Mediterranean Sea, wherever it was, and there he is now. He was on a ship to Tarshish, and now he's in total blackness. We've heard the story. Everywhere he turned was whale's belly. But that prophet that was in the belly of that whale lived to tell the story because he said, 
they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. And he says, I am going to turn in this fish. Brother Brown likened it to sickness. If you're sick tonight, what's your judgment? Jonah judged his symptoms as lying vanities. And he turned himself, and he says, God, you said, if I turn myself towards the temple, that you'll hear from heaven and forgive my sins and restore my land. And he turned himself towards God, and that fish made a beeline towards Nineveh, where he was sent to preach, and spit him out on the shore to fulfill his purpose in life. Why? Because he had judged righteous judgment. God's calling you to rule and reign. What's your judgment tonight over your own symptoms? What's your judgment tonight over your family? What's your judgment tonight over your loved ones? My judgment is God will save every one of them. I don't care where they are. Those are all lying vanities. I don't care what ache or pain I have in my body. I don't care even what I have felt standing behind this pulpit. That's irrelevant. What is relevant is God's Word. What does musicians come? What's relevant is what He has said about it. I am the God that heals all your sicknesses and all your diseases, and I count Him tonight as faithful. Amen. Amen. Do you count Him as faithful tonight? Do you believe his word? It's no different than Abraham out looking at the stars. It's amazing the thousands, millions of stars that are out there. And God says to Abraham, so shall your seed be. There's not a doubt in Abraham's mind. If God said it, that's exactly the way it's going to be. If God said he's my healer, that's exactly the way it's going to be. If God said he's going to deliver my children, that's exactly the way it's going to be. Hallelujah. If God said it in his word, I believe it, and that settles it. Amen. Amen. He proved it by going to souls in that first Easter convention and preaching to those souls and says, you should have believed the word. You should have judged with righteous judgment. And I say to you tonight, we're living in the last testimony of Jesus Christ. Be careful when you leave this place. If you're a sinner tonight, I'd be careful having heard this word. Talking about souls in prison, I'd be very careful tonight. Don't leave this place saying it means nothing because there was a people in Noah's day that said it meant nothing. When he stood there and said, it's going to rain. It's going to be destruction. There's going to come an end. Oh, it's never rained before Noah. He stood there and preached at them for 120 years. And one day was their last opportunity. And it unfolded exactly as God said it would unfold. How many count him as faithful tonight? How many judge him as the faithful one and believe his word? Let's stand to our feet. I claim the blood Jesus shed on Calvary. I claim the blood Jesus shed on Calvary. Those precious bloodstains
Brother Branham says, in the rising of the sun, you can continue to play that chorus. All my sins are struck out. All your sins are struck out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Ghost is come as an abstract to the title deed, that God give me by grace, by foreknowledge. 
How did God give it to you? By grace, by foreknowledge. He saw you before the foundation of the world. He slipped the wedding band of predestinated, unmerited grace on your finger in his mind. He cannot think a new thought. He, it is not possible for him to change his mind. He saw you'd believe his word like he saw Abraham would believe his word. And so he sent his word to you by grace, by foreknowledge. Then Brother Bram says, what are you scared about? No wonder he said, fear not. I am he that was dead and am alive again. And I am alive forevermore and have the keys to death and hell. That's what today between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is all about. He went down to, to hell to preach to souls in prison and to take the keys off the devil. The devil is bound. He says, I have the keys to death and hell. Don't worry about nothing. Even death ain't going to hurt you. How can we worry then? Only believe. Just accept his word. Just claim what Calvary did for you. I claim the blood. Precious bloods. 